Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. Today, uh, we're going to be discussing a subject that doesn't get a lot of attention, and that is parenting when you have chronic kidney disease or any illness for that matter. Um, You have to take care of yourself, but you also have these little humans that are reliant upon you, and you may not always feel the best or, you know, have have the ability to do what you feel is necessary to care for them. So today we're going to be speaking to Mauricia Ambrose. Yeah? Did I get that right, Mauricia? Yes, you did. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so happy. Um, she lives in Toronto, Canada, and she's on hemodialysis, and she's really been thinking a lot about this topic, and uh, we're going to hear a little bit about her story and uh, get some suggestions on how to help when you're parenting with a chronic illness. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lori. Um, just one uh, update. I did switch to PD, peritoneal oh, okay. dialysis, just in June. Okay. And it has actually been wonderful. So um, I'm no longer on hemo. Okay, well, you know what? I was on PD for nine years. Wow. And I was actually the first child in California to go on it. And I, I, I preferred PD over for hemo myself, um, I mm-hmm. felt it was much more friendly, but it's still, all dialysis takes time and energy, so it doesn't matter, you just got to find which one works for you. So let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, uh, you're a very busy person, you work in information technology for over 30 years, you're a mom, you're a real estate investor, and an author, um, and you're on the board of directors of the Lupus Canada, you're busy. So uh, tell us about um, your daily life and how you take care of everything you need to take care of. Well, you know what, I, Laurie, I take it one day at a time. Um, you know, everyone has good days and bad days, and we all have stuff to deal with. So I look at it from that perspective. Um, you know, I, I, if I can, uh, if I have a good day, I get as much as I can done. Um, if it's, you know, cleaning up the house or... Um, taking care of the dogs or the backyard. I love gardening. I do everything that I can. And when I have a bad day, well, I rest. And I don't do as much. Well, and you're also a single mom. So yeah. you have more responsibility. How do you how do you manage that? And what does your child think of, of dialysis? I'm always curious to know that. It's interesting because my son was a toddler when I was first diagnosed, or at least when I was told I had to start dialysis. And once we did start, and I say we because he was with me all the way, uh, he was in the home hemo clinic with me while I learned how to use the machine. And I made a point of not making it an issue. I, it was a day out with mommy. So I would bring toys. We would play Hungry Hungry Hippo. The nurses were wonderful. They made a point of finding a spot for him. And we just had a day out. To this day, uh, he's never asked, you know, Mommy, are you okay? And that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted him to not think of this as a problem, but just as part of our daily lives. And even now, he's 12. 
And uh, if he asks me a question, I answer it as, as honestly as I can. And he does ask questions, but it's not something that he worries about. Worrying is my, my, my job, not his. So I try to shield him from that. Well, and it's interesting that you say that because I've talked to a lot of parents with children over the years that, you know, they have some guilt, like, oh, my God, I'm sick and I can't do what's necessary. And, you know, I always say you have to survive your parents no matter who they are. And you learn valuable lessons when you're growing up. And it sounds like your son is learning a lot of valuable lessons about being patient Um, But being included, not being left out of what's going on. And I think that's important as well. So he he understands, he he sees it, and it's not a shock when something actually goes wrong. He knows that there's something happening, but he doesn't have to worry about it because mommy has it under control. And the other thing, too, is that that guilt that you talk about, it is definitely real. And uh, what I try to do is I try to make sure that he has supportive people around him so that we're not doing it all on our own. And there was a point in time where we were really on our own, but you have to be able to ask for help. And that's something that was always very difficult for me. But I have learned that I need to ask for help. I need to be able to reach out to others and, um, and bring other people into our circle, our little family so that we have the people that we need who can support us. Well, and, you know, I hear this from people who've grown up with a parent who was ill, that they always wanted to protect me, and they didn't tell me what was going on. And I think, you know, kids are pretty smart. <laughs> and, you know, it's, 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 you just need to be honest with them and not try to protect them all the time because, in my opinion, they can... Their own thoughts could be worse. (laughs) And it's just better to share with them, you know, explain what will happen. And, you know, this is how I'm being treated. And just they're part of the process, which helps them relieve their anxiety. Um, And they know that they can see what's going on with their parent as opposed to trying to like, oh, mommy will be okay. Don't you bother. Don't you worry about it. That actually causes more anxiety, I would say. I agree. I agree 100%. Um, I didn't explain anything to him when he was a toddler, obviously. I don't want to traumatize my child. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, it, it, it was easier to simply make it an outing. Right. Let's go out. And, and you know, the, again, the nurses were very supportive. I'm so happy they allowed him to be in the clinic with me. But I now tell him everything. Like with PG, I showed him exactly what was happening mm-hmm. so that because he wanted to see it. He wanted to see what, what it looked like and, and, and what's happening. And in seeing it, he knows that there's nothing wrong. Everything right. is okay. Well, and I think, too, that, you know, you're allowing him to feel the feelings with you because you're probably saying, you know, mommy has to do this. She doesn't feel well, but it's going to make her feel better. And you're explaining different feelings to him. And that's the best gift we can give a child is let them understand what they're feeling and how to, to cope with it so that they don't squash those feelings down. Oh, definitely. And then, you know, when they actually come out, you don't know what, what they would look like. So it's better that you're there with them and helping them through the process. Well, and, um, 
you know, I want to talk a little bit about feelings because I think, and, and I don't know if you've ever witnessed this, but I learned how to disassociate my feelings as a child. Like something like, oh, it didn't really hurt that bad. You know, like you're, it's a coping mechanism. Or, or, you know, I don't, it could be reversed to children as well that, you know, oh, well, I'm feeling sad, but I don't want mommy to know that. And if, if you don't help kids express their feelings when they are, they come out, like you said, another time. And, and it's, it can be quite ugly because it's not appropriate uh, for the actual situation. And this happened to me because somebody would step on my foot. I'm just giving an example. And I would say, wait, did that hurt? Did, you know, I'd ask a friend, you know, somebody stepped on my foot. Would that hurt you? You know, like I, I doubted what I was feeling. Oh, and okay. and you have to reconnect your feelings if you don't learn to experience them and express them when they're happening. And I think it was a coping mechanism for me. I was going through so much as a kid being sick that I had to, at some point, um, you know, just kind of differentiate so I wouldn't deal with them all. Um, that's a little bit in the weeds, but I, I thought it's important yeah. because the fact that you're letting your kid feel the feelings with you um, probably gives a lot of love and trust between the two of you. I mean, because you trust him, which is what everybody wants in life, to be loved and cared for. We, we have an, uh, an amazing relationship, and I hope it continues in, into his teens. I know um, <laughs> the relationship 12. tends to change. He's 12 he's right 12. now, so he's mommy's still there. cool, right? Mommy's still cool? <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's, he's there. He's, he's almost there. But um, it's interesting you talk about feelings because uh, I have a blog slash website called Parenting One Day at a Time. And on one of the uh, pages, uh, on the tantrums, I have zones of regulation where, and, and my son actually used this at a point in time where he could not express his feelings in a productive way. Uh, he would get angry and, and do things that weren't terribly destructive, but it was bordering on that. And the, the, it's a chart that tells you where or what you need to do when you feel a certain way. So, you know, if you're in the blue zone, so you're bored, you're tired, or you're sad, what do you do? If you're in the green zone, you're happy, positive, thankful, what's, what's the next step? And then they, there's the yellow zone where you're bordering, you're, you know, you're annoyed or you're worried. And then, of course, there's the red zone. You're upset, you're angry, you're aggressive. What are the, what do you do? What's the next action that you take as a child? And this, this chart actually helps you through those. So I, I, I put it in his backpack and he had it in his room so that he had something to refer to. And it helped. It really helped him connect with his feelings. And he knew how to react appropriately. I think that's the important thing, connecting with your feelings and also reacting appropriately uh, when you are within, you're in those, that, that, that you're having those feelings. Well, and it's so important. I mean, so this is like a chart you could hang on your wall and maybe they could point to a color. Like this Correct. is where yeah. I'm feeling. I mean, it's visuals are so important with kids, aren't they? I mean, very. it's it's very very important. Yeah, and even with adults as well. I mean, we're all we're we're visual. A lot of us are visual people. I like to see charts. I mean, I see. I like to see you know flows so that 
I, I know exactly what's happening. So it's definitely important. You talk a lot about your support system because when you have kidney disease, no matter what, there's probably going to be times when you, you know, have to go to the hospital or stay. So how does that work? Is your support system there, you know, can step in if you had to go to the hospital for some reason? Yes, I, I do have individuals. And I always say that the right people come into my life just when I need them as well. I have a, a support system in my family. Now, they aren't in Canada, but they, you know, I have someone to talk to, someone to reach out to if I need to talk. And then I also have a support system here, someone who will take care of him if I need to go to the hospital or if I'm at work and I just simply can't get back home in time, that person will take them. I remember once I actually was, I had to go to the hospital and our next door neighbor, he spent the night there and he had a wonderful time because uh, one of his best friends lived next door. So the, the support system is close by as well as I have some broad as well. Well, and no matter what illness you have or what your life is like, everybody needs a support system. Um, and they don't always come knocking at your door. You have to go out and, you know, develop friendships and relationships and also be a friend to them as well, you know, not just make it one-sided. So, uh, um, and I live in Los Angeles, and for a while, a woman posted on our local Nextdoor website that, you know, she was a single mom, and she was recently divorced, and she had a young daughter and wanted to know while she was working if there could be some neighbors who could help out. <laughs> and and I'm like, well, I don't I just have dogs. I don't have any kids. And I thought, well, I can I could do that. You know, I'd love to have a little girl around. And so we ended up taking care of her a few times and played arts and crafts with her and I became really good friends with the mom, um, wow. too, as well. And we're like, she lives like eight blocks from me. And I just thought, wow, she asked for help. You know, she's like, I know I can't do this. I'm on my own. And there are people who are around who would love to have a child in their life to, you know, take for a couple hours. You don't always have to play, pay a babysitter. I was like, oh, you know, she's coming over. What art project can I create for her today, you know, to do? I was having a good time with her coming over. So if you ask, you know, you may just get. And that's, that's so true. That is so true. And it's something that was very hard for me. Um, I, I don't know if you're aware. I, mean, I grew up in the Caribbean. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, life is about learning by, through your mistakes. And a lot of times you have to just spend for yourself. Right. Now, don't get me wrong, it's a very loving environment, but sometimes you just have to fend for yourself. And it was, it's very difficult. It has been very difficult for me to learn how to ask for help, but I'm, I have, and it's, it's been a good transition for me. Well, and also, when you ask for help, um, and then somebody says, oh, you know, I can help, you actually give the gift of somebody else to actually feel good about helping others. You know, um, it's very selfish, in my opinion, not to allow other people to help you. Because that's the secret of happiness, is helping other people. Um, <laughs> I, I, did a whole, I wrote a whole book on, called Chronically Happy, and it boiled down to <laughs> basically the secret of happiness is helping others. Because of the fact that when you feel appreciated, it's impossible to feel unhappy. 
That is so true. And I know, and it's 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 a gift to say, hey, can you help me, you know, fix my curtains? You know what I'm saying? Like somebody who can help you do that. And they feel good because they people love to help. If you're giving them a task, they can do. <laughs> um, That's true. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you ask me to go fix your car, I may not be the right person. But, um, you know, if you ask me to fix a necklace for you, I can do that for you. Because, you know, I, I'm good at that skill. So that is important thing is to ask the right people for what you may need. You know, one other point that I thought was really interesting is that when you allow your child to be part of what's going on with you, um, in addition to making them feel better because you're keeping them in the loop, it can also be a great comfort to you because you can share this journey with them, not like you want to give them all the details, but you, you're not hiding anything from them. And I think when you're not being totally transparent can cause some friction. Um, and you can just be honest, say, hey, mommy has to go get her access fixed today. I'm not really excited about it, but I'll be fine. And, you know, just being saying that makes you feel good because you can be honest with your child as opposed to saying, oh, mom's going to, she's got something to do. <laughs> um, and I'll be back in two hours. And they know. They, they know when you're telling them the truth. Right. They'll it, figure it out. Yeah. And they're like, what, what, mommy's going to a movie without me? Or mommy's like, you know what I mean? Like, if you don't fill in the blank, they come up with their own narrative. That's correct. Yeah, that's it's so great that you're bringing up this topic. So, you know, a question I have is how do you deal with the diet? So you may have to be on kind of a restricted diet for some foods. How do you incorporate that with your your child? Well, that's a really good question. In the beginning, and this is before uh, my son's name is Louis, before Louis even came into my life, when I had first started... uh, I hadn't even started dialysis yet, but I knew, I knew I had to control the foods that I was taking because of the minerals in each one of them. And I made a chart, and I guess it's because <laughs> I'm a project manager, I made a chart of do's and don'ts. For each mineral, I knew exactly what the effects were on my body, and I had a full list of what minerals were in each food, and which ones had high concentrations of these minerals. By the time I was done, the chart was about four feet long, hanging on the wall in my kitchen. <laughs> and I lived by that chart for a very long time. Um, and then I only stopped when I started dialysis, because at that point, uh, because I was on dialysis, I didn't have to monitor my food intake as much. But I still tried to eat healthy. Well, and what's interesting is that all I can visualize is this four-foot chart um, on your wall, and your kid is like two feet and then three feet, and he's growing right alongside of it. Is your is your son taller than the chart now? That's what I want to well, know. My, my son is taller than me now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so he can carry your peritoneal bags. Yes. He can. Actually, he's, he, he does. He's an amazing young man. Um, if I... Um, in bed a little longer than, you know, he would expect. He brings, he'll bring breakfast up for me. He'll make pancakes and, you know, slice bananas and try to make a chocolate for me. And he is just, I, I couldn't ask for a better son. Well, and, 
you know, I I don't know. Are you interested in adopting your son? Um, uh, he's welcome down here to L.A. Uh, but, <laughs> you, you know, you're teaching him empathy. Yeah. I mean, he's learning to be empathetic. And, again, I go back to the secret to happiness. The secret of happiness is feeling appreciated. And I'm sure he feels very appreciated when you don't feel well and he makes you breakfast or whatever you need. You know, it makes him feel good about himself. Oh, yes. So I, I'm curious, have you ever had a situation, because it sounds like you have a incredible son, but I have heard of scenarios when, you know, kids are just resentful because they want to go somewhere for the weekend or they want to do something and, you know, you can't because of health issues. Any suggestions for parents who may be going through a child who is rebelling against what they're experiencing with their illness? I think it's it's a matter of having an open conversation with that child. Explain. It depends on their, their age as well. But if they're a toddler, obviously, there's very little that you can do in terms of explaining this because they're feeling that feeling and there's nothing really that you can do about it except maybe soothe them and find... I, I always talk about distractions for kids, especially younger ones. Find a distraction something that they, you know, would be equally as exciting for them if they can't go wherever they want to go. For a child that's older, you have to sit down with them and, and have a conversation. That's the only way, at least in my opinion, that they can really understand. Be honest with them. My son, if I'm not feeling well, he knows it, I'll tell him, right? But it's not like, oh, it's a terrible situation. I explain the situation to him and I make sure he's aware that it's not something that he has to worry about, but there is a situation and you need to find something else that you can do. And usually they understand if you explain exactly what you're going through and you're not trying to leave things out or, as you said, shield them, just tell them the truth. Right. They, they, they are empathetic. They will understand. They love us. Right. So right. they'll understand. Yeah. You know, it's so true. I think honesty is the best policy. And, you know, oftentimes we're like, well, I don't want to burden the child with too much information. You actually burden them when you don't tell them. <laughs> um, I agree. Because then, then it's the other way around. You know, I've heard from some parents as well, too, is that uh, what do you do when you're not feeling well and you have a son who wants to you know, he's got energy. <laughs> I, I heard you had dogs. So that's always a great thing um, to have animals around with, uh, with a child. I think that gives them, especially an only child. I was an only child growing up and I had a dog that was my world. Um, it's a great way to be engaged. So how do you deal with that when, you know, you're like, I'm not up to going out today and he has some energy and wants to go blow some off? Well, we have a big backyard, and I, I got a big backyard specifically for that so that he could go outside and you know, jump on the trampoline and, you know, just do things outside. And he has friends in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So what I tell him is, you know, go get your bike and go biking with your friends. Mm -hmm. um, he is also at the stage where he loves uh, video games. So he will spend the entire day on that computer if I don't tell him get up and go outside <laughs> so those are the things that I try to to get him to do you know when um if, if I'm not feeling well 
Right. And no. it's something that we were supposed to do well, you know. Video games are great babysitters. Um, you know, <laughs> they really are. I mean, um, but it's it's wonderful that we're like, okay, okay, you got to get up. You got to step away from the computer um, or the device because it can be. Um, I grew up in Las Vegas. So I grew up in a, in a community that, you know, made their living on gaming. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. they're addictive and you know video games are made to be addictive everybody so you have to keep it in wraps so it doesn't take over your life um or it's an addiction i'm so glad you said that because that is so true and i had to make real changes so that it, it didn't become one um he's like during school during the school uh year he's not allowed on the computer during the week it's only on the weekend because if I allow him to be on the computer all uh, during the week, he will get nothing done. Um, and it's it's problematic because, I mean, I, I've heard on the news that some kids throw tantrums when you're like, okay, turn your cell phone off. They scream and yell. And I mean, I'm like, okay, there was should have been an intervention a long time ago before it got to this oh, yeah. point. Um, but they're addictive devices. And we need to remind people of that, um, that it, it can be extremely dangerous if you if you don't limit it because you're like, oh, go play the video games because you got to find something else. Get them some arts and crafts paper and pens and pencils and, hey, have at it. I agree. Um, a different way to engage. Um, so, uh, you, you know, you're absolutely fascinating, Marisa. And I, I uh, you've been on dialysis for how many years? And. My question is, are you possibly getting a transplant? Is that in your future? Well, I started dialysis in 2015, and uh, I am going to wait. I was on a transplant list at one point, but I want to wait until my son is older. I am terrified of anything happening to me, especially since I'm um, a single mom, because he will be on his own. And I want to make sure that he can take care of himself before I do anything so significantly invasive. That's a really interesting thought. And I think it's so, you know, you're so evolved. Because I've had four transplants. My first two didn't work. My first one, my second one almost killed me. Um, it was before some of the technology today. My third one worked for 20 years. My fourth one's been on 11 years. But there is a small risk that something could go wrong. So you've chose to, to, you know, if you're doing well on dialysis, and it's great that we have the choice. Because, you know, in my opinion, you would be a great transplant candidate. But for the reasons you just mentioned, the pros and cons that this isn't the right time for you. And, and, you know, to be able to think that through um, and put your son's needs before your needs. That's what a mother's all about anyways, right? <laughs> That's the definition, right? Um, but uh, um, to really give that some thought, understanding that, you know, it's a 95% success rate. But, hey, if I'm that 5%, he pays a serious consequence. And, exactly. I mean, some of the people might also reverse that and say you have risk on dialysis uh, but you're already on dialysis so you know that risk like you feel more in control instead of just going into surgery 
So um, I applaud you for really, um, you know, thinking about that. And and when he feels and you feel that it's the right time for you to go forward, I, I'm sure that he'll be your biggest supporter and cheer you on. But it's also very scary, as you mentioned, you're his only family member. And I think that's, that's the biggest, um, I'm going to use the word challenge for me, mm-hmm. is that I am the only one here to support him. Mm-hmm. And I need to make sure that I stay here to support him until he can support himself. And I have no problem waiting. Absolutely no problem waiting. Well, and you mentioned that you, you know, you're a real estate investor, you're uh, um, in information technology. Um, so you work full time too, do dialysis and a single mom. So tell us a little about your job. Well, I, I've been in, in IT for 30 years. I started as a developer. I uh, worked my way through the various roles, uh, team lead, a systems analyst, then as a project manager. I'm a program manager right now, uh, working at a bank. And um, I, my day is meetings and uh, resolving problems and negotiating with people to get stuff done. And basically, that's it. And there are times when it gets very, very hectic, but... Uh, as I said, you know, we all have things that we have to deal with. Everyone has something that they have to deal with. And I just take it one day at a time. If I'm not feeling well, I, I make a point of, you know, pressing pause. I've learned how to listen to my body. So if something is actually happening, I can, I can detect it earlier than later. There were times when I pushed myself way beyond the limits that my body could take and that had consequences. But I've since learned that, you know, I need to to slow down sometimes and give my body a chance to heal. Right. Well, you know what? The older you get, I don't know what happens. The energy just wanes. And it's just <laughs> it's just a reality, you know? Um, and that's a good thing is that, you know, having dials is available is allowing us the opportunity to age. That is true. You've also written a memoir. <laughs> into the storm, true. right? Yes. Turn, turn, turn into the storm. So tell us a little bit about how that came about and, you know, your overall philosophy. Because, I mean, one thing I know for certain is your son, I can see him graduating medical school, I'm just going to channel him to be a doctor. <laughs> and, um, and you know, he's looking back on, he's going to be talking all about his mother who just did so many things and had an illness, and that's why he chose this profession, because he wants to find a cure. <laughs> um, and But I, I can't imagine the lessons that you're teaching him because you're accomplishing so much while still managing your own illness. You're working full-time, you're writing a memoir, you're, you're um, you know, created these amazing charts. All I can think of is your calendar. It's got to look pretty fascinating. I'm sure it's got color codes and everything on it. Like, it's very organized, I'm sure. So, you're uh, so right. <laughs> I, I can see you with It is color-coded, actually. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm not psychic, but I have a vision here. Um, but... I can say by doing all that, it gives you, makes you feel like you're in control. Definitely. And that's why, um, you know, doing all these different things gives us a sense of control. And when we're having illness, we feel out of control. 
And we need to find things that make us feel like we're in control. And I like to make jewelry. So I like to, you know, to say where the beads are going to go. And, and you know, it makes me feel like I'm in control. And so you putting the colored stickers all over your your <laughs> little, I, I can see, I want a picture. You got to send me a picture of these things. But I can imagine <laughs> your calendar when you open it up looks like something out of Martha Stewart. I, I don't know. Yes. But am I right? <laughs> Yes, it is, but it's an electronic calendar, so there's no post-its. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're but an IT person. Okay, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can imagine. What I have, doing. and I and I have a lot of uh, alarms as well for all of the things that have to happen throughout the day. So my my phone is always beeping. Take with your the meds. Next thing that has to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're you you have a boss, right? It's your it's your calendar. <laughs> Um, So tell us a little bit about your memoir. Um, You know, you obviously have a fascinating story. You came from the Caribbean and all the way to Toronto. Huge weather change, by the way, everybody. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm thinking of that. Like, I'm in Southern California. So not only do you have to bundle yourself up, you have to bundle your son up. (laughs) So it was was amazing uh, and interesting. Situation: The first time I had to put a um, snow snow suit on on him because I'd never put a snow suit on myself. Uh, so it was it, it it was a comedy of errors, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> but we got it on and we got out of the house. So <laughs> uh, well, it was spring, but we got out. <laughs> so I, let me tell you about the the, the memoir. Um, it's. The, the forward itself is written by my nephrologist, mm-hmm. Dr. Corette, from uh, Toronto General. So I'm, I'm really happy he took the time to actually write the forward of the book. For me, it legitimizes the book. And as I said, as, and as you said, the, the name of the book is Turn Into the Storm. The theme is your struggles shouldn't define you. They should motivate you. And I had taken a leap of faith about in, in March of this year. And I entered a competition, um, a speaker competition at work, and I won. And I got the opportunity to tell my story to 8,000 of my colleagues. And the response to my story was so overwhelming that I decided to finish the book that I, I mean, I started it two years ago. It started as a legacy to my son. It was, you know, 30 years of triumphs and trials. And it ended as a declaration of my power within. I, um, I start each chapter with a letter to my son because when I was finally told I had to go on dialysis, as I said, I was terrified of leaving him, of not being able to take care of him. And I started writing letters. And these were short notes about what I did or what he did during the day or the things that we did together. And uh, each one of the chapters in the book starts with a letter to him. And I still have some of those letters, the actual letters that I wrote. Now, the book itself is about motherhood. It's about um, an Afro-Trinidadian. So it's about discrimination. It's about burnout, self-worth self-love, self-care. Uh, it's, it's about my journey as a single black mother surviving a chronic illness while working in a corporate male-dominated profession. 
mm-hmm. and coping with the unique type of stress that comes with being black in North America and the effect that had on my body because of my illness. It's about the strength that comes with surviving burnout because I eventually had to step away from my life and heal. There was so much happening that I, and it was only when I actually stepped away that I realized that I had, I had, I was suffering from burnout. Right. And I had to learn how to love myself again and take care of myself again. I, I say in the book that the alchemist has put me through the fire and I have come out as gold because I know that now I can take care of myself and I can take care of my son and I have the strength to do that. It just sounds like a fascinating book. Uh, I can't wait till it's published. And uh, please send me a copy or a link to buy one. I, I applaud you for bringing up those issues. I mean, you know, I'm a short female in a corporate world. And I came up with the saying, I'm taller than I look. I love that. Um, and, and they never, they always have lower expectations of me. And I used to get really upset with that. They didn't expect much because I was a kid who was sick and I grew up, you know, I was on dialysis from age 12 to 24 um, and had all of these issues. And I used to resent people for like, what, you don't expect me to be here whatever? Well, I'll show you. <laughs> uh, but as I got older, I'm like, you know, I love that they have low expectations of me because they put their guard down. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting <laughs> how you how you change your perspective. But it doesn't bother me like it used to. I use it as a strength. That's amazing. And, and so, you know, it's, it's amazing how sometimes we look at our weaknesses, but they end up being our strength. And I think that's a lot about what you're saying. And I just applaud you for bringing it up because, you know, you have to have a little level of maturity to see that. I didn't see that when I was a kid. I was like, what? They're, they're, they're not paying attention to me because I'm short or whatever. You know, like, oh, isn't she the cute little kidney girl or something like that? And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so tired of being referred to as that. I'm more than that. But now it doesn't bother me. I'm like, well, you know, they can think what they want and they'll never see me coming. <laughs> um, that is when, so true. <laughs> so, I love it. I love that attitude. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, I wrote a book called Chronically Happy. The real title is Chronically Happy, damn it, because it takes a little anger to be happy with an illness. You have to use those feelings to motivate you to change what's needed to get where you need to go. So, uh, well, Mauricia, I wish you lived closer to me. I think we would probably have a lot of fun lunches together and solve all the world's problems, I'm sure. I think so as well. <laughs> well, um, and you also talked about that chart that you're, is on your blog. So yes. tell people how you can get to your blog. The blog is called parentingonedayatatime.com. And you can reach out to me via the blog as well. I have a newsletter that I am publishing every week. I'm actually writing articles for the uh, for Lupus Canada as well every month. And sorry, the articles are published on a monthly basis. So again, parenting one day at a time dot com. Okay, and then to wrap up, do you have any other suggestions that you would like to give to parents that you know may be struggling um, with an illness and you know they want to communicate with their kids? How how can they get the ball rolling? I think, first of all, 
take it one day at a time. If you have a bad day, ask for help. And don't try to do it all yourself. I stopped trying to be super mom a long time ago. And I just try to be the best version of a mom that I can be. And in terms of your child, be honest. Just tell them how you're feeling so that they can express their feelings as well. They mimic us. So if we can express our feelings, they will express theirs in a healthy manner. That's the best thing that you can do for your child. True words have never been spoken. So thank you, Mauricia, and I look forward to our paths crossing again. Thank you so much, Lori. I do agree, and I totally enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.